This week on the Off the Crossbar Podcast, Commissioner Nick Sikevich steps away from the NLL and Deputy Commissioner Jessica Berman will now be the interim commissioner. The Saskatchewan Rush trade for Eric Penny as they make a late mid-season push. Six games Saturday in Week 13 and a real juicy box bet. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots and he scores! of a second left in the half. Lee again shoots. I don't know what is going on from the top, but he's got his fifth goal of the day. We're one away from the footwear getting thrown on the floor again. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast, week 12 in the books. Week 13 coming up. Six games all on Saturday, so... Make sure all your devices are charged, your cords are nearby, you're not going to want to leave your couch for a long time on Saturday. I'm Teddy Jenner, he's Pat Gregoire, my man, what's going down? Not much, buddy, not much at all. Just, uh, again, I say this every week, (laughs) enjoying lacrosse, and just pumped up that we have another full slate. It's all in one night, like you said, but it's still a slate, it's still a slate. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at P Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. And we're also on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Um, where do you want to start? 
Uh, we're going to do a quick recap of week 12. We got two great guests this week in Cooper Perkins from the San Diego Seals and the Lax Metrics podcast, as well as the interim commissioner, the newly appointed interim commissioner, Jessica Berman. Maybe we should start there. Uh, news breaking Wednesday that Nick Sakevich is stepping down as commissioner of the National Lacrosse League. Uh, he came in back in 2015. He has taken the league from nine teams to 15 teams. Uh, we're on national television on both sides of the border. Um, but he has decided that it's time for another chapter in his career. So Jessica Berman will take over the reins. Uh, but this news was a shocker to everyone around the lacrosse world. It was. And I think a lot of people, definitely with the timing, it's it's kind of came out of nowhere it's in the middle of the season but when we talk to Jessica Berman we'll you know maybe get some more answers on the process of why it was done at this time but uh say what you will about about Nick Sakevich and you know there's there's a lot of mixed opinions on him out there but I think a way that you can assess someone's term uh, at being a leader and being su successful is did they leave the the game or the league or the organization better than when they took over? And I think you absolutely 100% have to say he did. Obviously, um, again, we'll, we'll find out who is going to take over, if they can continue to build on the success and maybe take the league to the next level. Um, but you know what? Uh, like I said, say what you will. Uh, you know, on the surface level, he did a tremendous job. Um, sure, Minnesota moved, uh, New England moved, Rochester moved, but we we brought in Philly, we brought in a revamp Rochester, we brought in, in uh, New York, San Diego's come into the league, we're bringing in Vegas, Panther City's now in, so he really has done a fantastic job in continuing to add franchises um, and the right franchises and the right markets, the right owners, which was always you know his three pillars ownership market fan base uh, and he's done a really good job of that yes we'll be honest there are some franchises that are struggling and that's always going to be the, the case in any pro league you're going to have franchises yeah. that struggle but i think we're in a good spot moving forward you know we've talked extensively about uh, about the league's plans for further expansion we'll ask more on about that with jessica what their plans are but I completely agree with you. Did he leave it better than when he got it? I would have to say yes. We're on national TV, both sides of the border, um, with you know people able to watch the games all around the world whenever they want. So uh, we have to definitely thank Nick for his service, for everything he's done for our for the league, for the sport of lacrosse. We wish him the best, but he is going to stay on with the league until uh, the end of June. Um, so we'll get we'll get more from Jessica Berman uh, in a little bit. But we got to get to week 12. We are starting to see separation in the NLL West as Vancouver, Colorado, and San Diego are clear ahead of the pack with Calgary starting to fall, Saskatchewan starting to fall, and Panther City just continue to spin their wheels. Yeah, I, th I think the thing that's really jumped out to me is – I think on the East, we knew it was going to be a dogfight and we kind of expected the same thing in the West, but those top three teams that you mentioned, they have just taken this lead and have not taken the foot off the gas. Vancouver, um, 
you could say that's a team that maybe people have been expecting, oh, are they going to you know, fall back down to reality? They had a little bit of a skid, but now they look like they're, you know, even with their best player out, they are chugging along and looking great. Colorado, um, you know, offensively, they continue to flourish. And then San Diego looking to rip off seven wins in a row. Like, are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. Um, it, I don't think the playoff race in the West is going to be nearly as exciting as we thought it was going to be at one point. Yeah, and I think, but at the same time, yes, I don't think we're going to have a four-team, five-team dogfight that we kind of thought we might have, which would have been fantastic. We'll just have to watch, you know, a six-team dogfight in the East. But having San Diego, Colorado, and Vancouver kind of being the clear-cut favorites in that that conference and battling out the rest of this year, I think is going to be exciting lacrosse because they're going to have to go through each other at some point. So let's see how they fare down the rest of the stretch. Um, It's definitely going to give us some exciting games to watch, but you mentioned Vancouver, no Mitch Jones. Well, they were though Alex Bouquet this weekend as well. And Steve Fryer was absolutely cooking in that game against Calgary. He made some absolutely fantastic saves. It's his first start for the franchise of the season. He thought he was going to have that gig. It kind of got taken away from him. He said those comments post-game, um, and he's just happy to get that win. He couldn't have picked a better guy to put in that situation. We use that phrase all the time, big team guy, and no one bigger than Deep Fryer. What a moment that was for him and for that organization. Yeah, 41 saves, and I think the biggest takeaway for me was that sentence at the end of the game. You know, in his post-game, he said, he said this – he felt like this was his job and an injury took it away. And he played like a starter, mm-hmm. 41 stops, looked sharp, made the big saves down the stretch as well. And you could say that, you know, when we saw him last, when he, in that Colorado game where he came in for a bouquet, he did not look that confident. He did not look um, like the, the deep that we've seen in some spot starts. Uh, but this time we did. And I would actually say this is probably some of the best lacrosse it's the best lacrosse i've seen him play in the national lacrosse league and maybe even dating to to some of his summers um you know here in ontario where he's looked fantastic as well and when everyone said look it's only a matter of time till he gets a starting job well he's lost one this year because of an injury and uh bouquet playing so well but with more expansion teams coming in maybe he'll he'll finally get his chance on another team if he can continue to have games like this so that was game one on Friday. Uh, the second, the other game on Friday, Buffalo at Albany, and we had history in Banditland. And <laughs> I, I honestly have never ever thought about this because again, it's never happened. But every single goal in that game was scored in one net. Just bonkers that that is actually now a thing in the NLL. Sure, it might happen in hockey where goals are a lot less frequent, but in a game that had that many goals and those three or four crazy runs that happened in that game, just crazy thing that every single goal was scored in that one net. It was, and it wasn't like, like you said, even if it was like a low scoring grinded out battle, like you could kind of see it if a team outscored their, you know, their opponent three, nothing in one quarter, maybe one, nothing in the other quarter and, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. But it was an absolute 
beat down in each quarter. <laughs> yeah. Like there were so many times where you're like, oh, well, Albany's going to run away with this one. Oh, well, Buffalo's going to run away with yeah. this now. And it's crazy. You look at the box score, one nothing Albany, 6 nothing Buffalo, 7 nothing Albany, and then 7 nothing yeah. Bandits. Like absolutely mind-blowing stuff. And the big takeaway for me from this game is obviously that, well, not the big takeaway. The one takeaway – the bandits, they continue to roll. Mm-hmm. But the biggest takeaway for me is why can this Albany team not click collectively as a unit? Mm. Their defense is either spot on, like holding the bandits to 13 might sound like it's not a great feat, but you know, they showed stretches where they gave the bandits so many fits. Yeah. But then their offense can only pot eight. There hasn't been a game this year where we've seen the offense, you know fill the net, but their defense and Doug Jamison look stout at the same time. And I'm sure that is driving Glenn Clark absolute bonkers right now, because that is a huge reason why they've been so inconsistent this year. Uh, other point of note from that game that stood out to me, uh, Dohokan Nanako now leads all rookie in goals scored. He had three over the weekend. I think he's got 14, one above Jeff Teed, who was off last weekend. A great article by Jack Goods. Uh, on U.S. Lacrosse, you can find that on Twitter, where he just details the upbringing uh, of Dahoka and how he spent much of his young young life just around the greats of our game and how that's kind of led him to where he is today. So great read by Jack Goods on TN1. Uh, on Saturday, Albany versus Toronto. Rock have now won four in a row and they're starting to make some noise. Rosie's playing fantastic. Schreiber is looking MVP-like. They're getting chances from Latrell in transition. They're starting to get healthy. This is a Toronto team that should be feared. They should be feared, and I think a lot of teams are noticing them. And, and we are finally seeing it come together in a consistent format, and it is because they're getting that consistent lineup. And But also, it's not just you know, Tom Schreiber shooting the lights. So, you know, getting some, some good contributions from their depth pieces, like Reed Reinhold chips Mm -hmm. in a hat trick, right? Uh, Josh Humanville scores two goals in transition. So the depth is now starting to fill in. So this is a team that if, if their defense is clicking, Rose looks great. The defense is now chipping in transition and it's not just Challen Rogers doing it. This is a scary, scary team. Uh, you were at the Halifax, Georgia game, the first time back in the nest. How was the chowder? Chowder was great as always. It almost tasted better, better this yeah. time around. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there were so many storylines from that game. You know, finally, Halifax gets another convincing win. Georgia kind of was there, but they weren't. Stephen Keel between the legs, absolutely Stupid. ridiculous goal. And then the save by Warren Hill at the end of the half, like, when you're on, you're on. And you look at, you know, some of the shots that Keo takes, some of the shots that KJ takes. When guys are really confident in their stick, guys like Shanks, they just start throwing junk and it goes in. It's just a joy to watch. Yeah, and that's the perfect way. It, w- it was fun to watch this offense click, whereas, in, I'll be honest, in a couple of previous games, it was frustrating to watch them because – they were just struggling. They, the, the confidence is something that Mike Kersey has brought up early on in the year. He said, we have so many good players right now that just aren't playing with that confidence and with that swagger that they have. Well, 
on Saturday night, that group had a ton of swagger. You saw, like you said, Keo through the legs, Shanks with a spinning shovel. Jackson went one hand behind the back. He didn't score, but he was yeah, trying. He tried it. Uh, you know, Jameson was was just dishing out ridiculous assists. Uh, I think he finished with five. Like he he was dialed in the offense. Finally, for this unit, the righties and the lefties were mm-hmm. clicking at the same time. So I felt like maybe there wasn't that urgency where sometimes when the righties are going, the lefties are gripping their stick because they're saying, "Ah, oh, the righties are doing all the offense. We got to click, you know, chip in here." Whereas if everyone's contributing, they're sharing the ball. They don't care who scores, and we, that was on full display on Saturday night in the nest. What was more swaggy, um, Billy D's solid gold tie or <laughs> Jammer's eight, teammates' necklace? You know what? I would. I mean, when you see like a, a gold, a solid like gold tie, you would have to say it's Billy D. But we've seen that already, and I think with you know Jammer showing up to the rink, no one knew that was going to happen, and kind of was taking a page out of Joe Burrow's book. I have to give a little bit of a lean to him and. and I mentioned on the broadcast, like jammers back, like he's playing with confidence. He looks healthy when he like that offensive set doesn't matter if they go three, three lefties or three righties. When he goes all the way out to the end boards and, you know, invites the defense to either chase or if they decide not to chase and he has time to window shop, bad things are going to happen. And I love watching when Jammer's out there being that quarterback on the offense. And that was clearly the case, uh, you know, in their big win against Georgia. Uh, Sunday fun day started in Panther City. Calgary outlasts the home squad. Uh, No Curtis Dixon, but they do get Tyler Pace back playing his first game uh, south of the border in three plus, four plus years. Um, But I think the Tyler Burton goal at halftime was a huge huge backbreaker for Panther city that allowed Calgary to just kind of realize, okay, let's get some momentum. Let's kind of turn the jets on. And they were able to come away with a much needed win after that loss Friday night in Vancouver. Yeah. And I kind of was expecting, I don't want to say a, a better effort because that certainly wasn't the case. It wasn't like Calgary just wasn't trying, but I was expecting them to kind of pull away at some point, but you've got to tip your cap to, to, to Panther city. Mm-hmm. This is a team that just does not quit. It doesn't matter what the score is. They continue to go and go and go, but yeah, this, this obviously you'll take the win. Uh, I think Kurt Miloski probably wasn't pleased with the process of the win, but uh, anytime that you can get a bounce back win like that, you're going to be happy. And I can't say it enough. I wish I could change my vote for transition player of the year at the halfway mark because Courier was disgusting this weekend. 31 loose balls, 10 cost turnovers, as good as it gets in two games for the NLLPA president who is leading by example both on and off the floor. The final game, Colorado and Saskatchewan in Colorado. Ryan Lee has to be getting MVP looks now after what was another phenomenal performance. Sask looked like they kind of had that game, but Ryan Lee came alive late in the second half and had Adam Shoot's number coming across the top. I think he had three almost identical shots or goals, but put them different. And I think Jamie Shuchuk said it in the broadcast, and it was very perfect. By the time he scored that third one, Adam Shute was didn't have any idea where Ryan Lee was shooting those shots because he had gone far side high, short side high, and then he kind of went short side low. And it just 
it was a poignant and perfect example of shooters just knowing tendencies and understanding that you can't shoot the same place twice because you got to keep the goalie guessing. But Lee was just ridiculous. Insane. And I think if you asked me at the start of that game or before, I would have said, oh, his numbers probably, you know, decent amount of goals and, and, you know, it's majority assists, but he's racking up the goals as well. I think Mm -hmm. he's got what, 21 now, just, you know, a couple of, I think five off, off the lead for Lyle. So this is a guy that obviously his main skill set in that offense, you know, is the playmaking ability. Obviously he has the athleticism and that shifty frame uh, to go dodge underneath and, and with his crease dives, but he is an underrated shooter. And you mentioned it. It's not just, he's going to grab the ball and pick the corner. Like, He's got an, a very deceptive shot and he can change his planes. And if you have a goalie's number, why not just keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting. Cause he clearly had shoots number uh, in that afternoon game. It's been a busy day and an exciting day and a historic one for the national crossing. This is the new interim commissioner, Jessica Berman, right here on the off the crossbar podcast. She is now the interim commissioner. Um, she might even still have the EVP title. We'll ask us Jessica Berman from the National Lacrosse League. Jessica, how are you? I'm doing well today. Just another day. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably not just another day. Um, uh, how has your day been since this news has come out that uh, Nick is stepping away from the National Lacrosse League as the commissioner and you will be stepping in the interim role? It's been uh, actually busy and really not all that different from any other day. I, I said that jokingly, but it's actually true. Um, mm-hmm. Other than a couple of extra media requests, um, which I might have even otherwise done, depending on whether Nick was around, um, my day to day is is really not that much different. We're preparing for our upcoming weekend's games, uh, reviewing our metrics from last week. Uh, We're getting close to budget planning for our next fiscal. We have a board meeting coming up. Um, We're talking to our key partners about how we can grow the league. We're talking to prospective partners. Um, We're looking into ways we can build our fan engagement tools through betting. Um, So, you know, that's just sort of high level, quick summary of what I was working on today. Um, and yeah, uh, although Nick is missed and, um, his presence was, is felt when he's around, um, we wish him the best of luck. And he did a really great job of hiring a lot of really talented executives, uh, that work at the league and manage each of the subject matter areas. And, um, he always used to say that picking talent was one of his uh, greatest assets. And I would tend to agree. We have an awesome team at the league office and we're ready to march on. Um, you, you mentioned he had a lot of great hires. You were one of those hires. Uh, 2019, when you first came in to the National Lacrosse, like it's been a crazy three years. We haven't actually played a lot of games in that time. Um but what has Nick meant to you in a business scale of your growth as an executive? Nick is very focused on generating revenue. And uh, that is was an area for me that was um, I was very interested in getting more experience and exposure to when I joined the NLL. And so 
Um, he was very inclusive and uh, generous with his time and always gave me an opportunity to both shadow him and lead um, with him by my side or supporting me. And so over the last two and a half years, I've had the ability to really build out my experience and build build my monetization muscles mm-hmm. um, in my portfolio. Um, and I really owe that to him because he that's what he did his whole career. Um, that was his primary area. I'm sure you guys know from my background, I'm really a league operator by training. Um, and uh, always one of the things that interested me about joining the NLL was being able to really get in the weeds on how do you grow revenue? And over the last two and a half years, I've gotten to watch Nick at work and gotten to lead with Nick by my side or supporting me. Um, He's also a team operator um, and I've only worked at league offices my entire career, uh, including back to my law firm days where I represented all of the major sports leagues, but I never really had a team lens in my ear um, other than sort of on the other side of the phone or across the table, um, which of course, you know, I was trained to always look at the teams as our most important asset, but to actually have my boss be someone who had a team lens and he was so focused on ticket sales um, is something that I absolutely will carry with me. Um, I'm sure you guys know, anytime you spoke with him, he was talking about, you know, butts in seats, ticket sales, um, sort of the rocket fuel that grows leagues. And so I'll, I'll always sort of carry those um, influences and messages with me moving forward in my career. From an outsider's perspective, I think the midseason departure might seem unusual and have people asking why now and why wouldn't Nick Sakevich step down at the end of the year? But obviously, um, as some of the things you already said, um, this was actually the perfect time for him to step away. Well, you know, his um, his contract was expiring at the end of this year in any event. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, you're not talking about a difference in, in years. Uh, you're talking about a difference in months. And he is around um, and he is supporting and consulting the league. So he's not going anywhere. Um, and I'm sure we will be calling on him uh, throughout the next several months as we sort of take the torch and try to continue to build um, and honor the legacy that that he's left on the league to really help it to continue to reach its its full potential. Um, but also, you know, I would say from a fan's perspective, of course, like you, you, on the outside, you look at the season and that seems like a natural break in time. Um, behind the scenes, we are in business planning uh, in the spring for our upcoming fiscal Um, And so our fiscal year is July 1 to June 30. And so um, from a internal perspective, this timing actually makes a lot of sense. Um, And, you know, Nick, Nick in large part was interested in this timing, you know, as he's, I'm sure you've seen, and he's mentioned, and I think it was in his quote, um, he's evaluating several different opportunities. And I can only assume those are going to be great. And I think he wanted to be free of the sort of day-to-day of managing the league to really think about what's next for him. And so, um, yeah, we, we support his decision. And I think anyone's best legacy is being able to 
um, put people in a position to be successful and rise to the occasion. And I think, like I said, beyond me, um, even our, you know, our league staff and our executive management team is second to none. And uh, some of the smartest people I've worked with in my entire career. And I feel really fortunate to be working with them and, and having the opportunity to lead the league. Obviously, you're not going to want to, you know, reinvent the wheel of anything that's been done, you know, before you. Um, but for yourself in this role, what are your sort of top priorities over the next few months? Well, um, really, most importantly, um, number one, to uh, create stability. Um, obviously, with Nick's uh, moving on, uh, we want to make sure that our partners, our staff, the teams feel that the league is in a secure place um, and uh, have some some of that sort of consistency. Uh, so that's really priority number one. Um, we'll also uh, sort of turn to the question of the future of the league and what that means. Um, you know, the board uh, and I both discussed uh, our mutual intention, which was shared that we should deal with things in an appropriate sequence. And so, um, you know, we'll be in turn having conversations about what the future holds for the league in terms of the next permanent, I'll put, I don't know who's actually permanent in life, but <laughs> permanent, I'll put in air quotes, commissioner um, for the league. But, you know, in the interim, um, although I don't, I don't know that I necessarily am so focused on titles or, have the quote interim title, but in the interim, um, you know, I will be representing the shield, making sure that the teams continue to have the support that they need to grow the business and to have our return to play season be outstanding um, and do everything that we can to reset the baseline and all of our key business metrics to continue to grow the league. Um, we've, we've had national TV deals, uh, major sports betting sponsors announced. Would you say getting our players to being full-time athletes is, is maybe the next big hurdle for the NLL? Well, I, I think getting players to be full-time athletes will be a byproduct of us continuing to grow our media deals and our sponsorship deals. It, it is sort of the end goal, um, and it will be an indication that our uh, business and revenue has gotten to a point that can sustainably support having players be full-time. Um, and I think, you know, looking at our league and for sure we have sort of a startup mentality internally, but it has been around for 35 years for a reason. And that's because our teams have invested responsibly in the growth of the league. And, uh, we all want it to be, yesterday, today, or tomorrow, that that's the case. Uh, I would love nothing more than for our amazing athletes to be able to focus 100% of their time on their trade. Um, I often think when I'm at games or watching on TV or looking at highlights that are picked up on SportsCenter, like imagine if our guys actually trained full-time <laughs> um, because they are so talented and they are so athletic and so entertaining. Um, and so you know, that's something to sort of pay attention to in the future. Uh, I think our sport has even greater potential than we currently put forward because of that. I mean, we'll have a guy on SportsCenter who 
played on a Sunday night and on Monday morning, he's reporting to work as a fireman. Like, you know, it's just, I, I still marvel at that, um, especially coming from the NHL. So, uh, you know, I, I would love nothing more than for that to happen for them, but also for our sport. Um, but it has to be at the right time and it has to be built sustainably and responsibly. How much will uh, Nick's departure impact the CBA negotiations, if at all? Because I do know you have been you know, heavily involved in, in those discussions. Yeah, I, I am heavily involved in them. Um, I, I would say, you know, his departure will be felt probably across the board. Um, as it relates to players, I, I know that, um, you know, in addition to having the lens of a team operator, he also carries the lens of being a former player. And a lot of our players uh, really um, identified with him and, and felt that level of sort of like, you get it because you lived in my shoes or you walked in my shoes. Um, and, and so, you know, we will do everything we can to make sure our players feel educated, understood, have a forum to ask questions and um, feel like there's transparency. Um, which is, you know, obviously my background from a labor perspective, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it gave them some comfort knowing that a former player and someone who identified as an athlete was, was leading the league. Um, and hopefully we can continue to build that trust and instill that confidence with them that we understand what they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And that we're working not just on behalf of management, but on their behalf to make this league as uh, fair and set it up for success and growth in years to come. When you and I first chatted three and a half years ago, when you were first brought into the league, um, I asked you what it felt to be, you know, such a high powered female in the sports industry. Now you're, you've kind of taken another step um, to being a commissioner of a professional men's league. How does that resonate for you? Well, um, luckily, I guess I haven't had a lot of time to think about it <laughs> because I have so much work to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I do, as I think I told you when you asked me that question two and a half years ago, um, all kidding aside, I, I carry the responsibility uh, very seriously and heavily on behalf of other women and girls who I recognize that the you have to see it to believe you can be it. Um, philosophy is real. And um, I didn't have women really when I was being sort of groomed and raised in the industry who were super senior. Now, um, despite the fact that there may not be other female deputy commissioners or commissioners of men's leagues, there are so many talented and senior women in our industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm so fortunate to have them as colleagues and peers now. And None of us really knew each other as we were sort of like traveling in parallel as peers, as junior or mid-level, or even a little bit more senior people in different organizations. But now that um, with the advent of social media and the focus on networking and the importance of equity and women supporting women, um, there's amazing resources. And I'm on a women's leadership board that we meet monthly and it's one of my favorite hours every month. It's actually tomorrow morning. And the other women in that group are some of the most inspiring, smartest people, not just women in the industry, who have all sort of shared similar experiences coming through an industry that was 
um, male dominated and where we all sort of felt like we were the only, but we're actually not the only there. There's lots of us. We just didn't know about each other. So, you know, hopefully that will continue to multiply over generations and it'll become normal and normalized to have women in senior roles, which I think is, is really starting to happen. It truly is. We're seeing it across all sports. You know, WNBA has a female commissioner. The Women's Hockey League had a female commissioner. But even in the NHL and the NFL and the NBA, we're seeing more and more women rise up and, and have these prominent roles. And when you came in, you wanted to bring some of those hockey diversity ideologies into the NLL. And you've started NLL Unites. And the Every Child Matter movement has been an important one for our league. Uh, the Player Summit has been received very well by the players. How important is it for you in this new leadership role to make sure those don't get left behind and those initiatives continue to ramp up? Super important. Um, and um, really each of the ones you've mentioned are uh, absolutely continue to be a priority for me. Um, they need to be intentional. They need to be um, prioritized in how we plan out our year. Um, they were launched and executed for a very specific reason and uh, have achieved their intended objectives and um, by all accounts, very successful. Um, and so we absolutely want to continue them. And I, I would just sort of like lean in, double down on the NLL Unites work um, because uh, I, I genuinely believe as, as you all know, that social impact, sorry, that uh, social impact work um, not only is the right thing to do, but also is good for business. Um, for any of us who know sort of anecdotally people who are part of the next generation of fans, we know that they care about cause and use cause as a lens through which they decide how to spend their money and spend their time. And so if we want to reach that next generation of fans, we have to stand for something. We have to stand for our purpose. And uh, what I heard overwhelmingly from our players, not just at the two player business summits we hosted, but the focus groups we hosted last year during the pandemic is that this is the space that we have to own. It is the space that we need to make more of a priority and that the heritage and roots of the game are the key, the culture of the NLL. And that if we want to unlock the power of the players, they need to believe that this is something that we will invest in and authentically care about. And so um, NLL Unites and our focus on Every Child Matters is just the beginning. Um, we have other stuff in the works that I'm really excited about. Um, and I believe it will also not just help us reach new fans, but bring on other corporate partners who are interested in working with organizations and sports leagues in particular that demonstrate to the community that they are good corporate citizens. And, and that is table stakes these days. Um, so whether you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, or you're doing it because you know it's what's necessary to generate revenue, or for both reasons, um, it will continue to be a priority for us. Shifting towards this season, and it's it's certainly been an inter interesting one, a challenging one. You've dealt with, you know, players going on COVID lists, coaches, staff going on COVID lists, games having to be postponed, games having to be relocated. Um, but it's starting to seem like we're kind of getting to the other side of things here. Are we going to see any changes to the COVID protocols that are currently in place? 
Well, we've already, um, first of all, let me just like give a solid, like knock on wood. And <laughs> yes, like exactly. my grandma would like say poo poo, you know, don't, <laughs> don't say that. Um, uh, she would say cross your fingers. So, you know, my family's very superstitious. So, um, yes, I think everything you said has been true so far. Um, and we're certainly hopeful, uh, based on the global trends and North American trends that we see that things will continue. Um, and our, uh, COVID experience has exactly mirrored what's been happening across North America in terms of the spike and in terms of the decline. So um, thankfully, with the medical experts we have advising the league and the work that we've done uh, with the teams, and we set up a whole infrastructure. I don't know if you you guys know sort of the inner workings, but um, every team has a designated club compliance officer who reports in to me each and every week. Um, with all of their metrics um, and the number of tests that are conducted and the number of positives and who's uh, still out and who's returning to play. And we manage that all at the league office um, to make sure that um, all the teams are following the same rules, um, that we don't run into any issues from a player pipeline perspective to be able to play in a given weekend. Um, and we've actually relaxed our rules as of I think it was last weekend, um, we went back to the pre-Omicron policies, um, which is great. Um, and so that has opened up a lot of opportunity for some fan engagement, um, some more opportunities for you know premium tickets or season ticket holders to be able to have more sort of um, behind the scenes experiences. Um, less strict, I would say, with respect to mask wearing, particularly since all of our players are vaccinated. Um, and so um, all the things are moving in the right direction. There's only um, a few things <clears throat> that still remain. Um, and I think if the trends continue the way they have, we'll continue to relax our policies. Um, but we're mostly um, at or very close to business as usual. Again, I'll do a knock on wood, hopefully. Um, I want nothing more than to stop monitoring our the number of tests that are happening and um, number of positives and all those sorts of things. But for sure, and you guys can see it just from you know who's on the COVID list, um, in late December and early January, it was like insane. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're back to a manageable level. Nick had three pillars when it came to uh, expansion. It was ownership, market, and, and fan base and arena location. Um, do you believe in those three? And at the same time, what's the plan for expansion now? What, what are your visions for expansion? Well, um, the agreed upon goals with the board um, when Nick was commissioner, which I have no reason to think is not still the case, is that the league would be at 16 teams by 2023. Mm -hmm. And that at that point, um, the league would perhaps take a step back and either slow down or reevaluate or decide based on the circumstances what makes the most sense. And so we, um, Nick and I actually have been working on Team 16 discussions and those are very active and ongoing. Um, and so, you know, from that perspective, I do think those are the three correct lenses through which to look at them, you know, which are again, ownership, quality of ownership, market, and the venue. Um, 
the additional lens that I would add, which is maybe like a sub bullet of, of the market is the geographic footprint of, of the league and looking at divisional alignment and making sure that it's balanced and logical on a league-wide basis. Um, you know, finding the intersection of all those things is like running a needle through a haystack. It's like really hard <laughs> to find like the right owner, the right market, the right venue, and then make sure it makes sense across the league. But, you know, I, I, we are looking at that and thinking about that as we look at, you know, particularly being 16 teams, that's like a logical, even balanced number that, you know, the league could potentially stay at for a little bit if, if that was the direction we wanted to go. Um, it'll probably depend on a host of factors, including demand and, you know, where we are in terms of the business um, and growth. Obviously, today has been a very busy day. I'm sure you've had plenty of calls to make and, and interviews, as you said. But when you spoke with the Board of Governors, how did that go? And, and what's the next step for everybody now? Yeah, I mean, the board, um, at least with respect to the league office and me, I, I feel really fortunate that they have communicated um, both, I guess, directly and indirectly that they have confidence in my ability to lead the league. Um, certainly, uh, at least for the interim. Um, next steps are really now that today's announcement is is behind us to figure out where we go from here. Um, those conversations will be ongoing. Um, but, you know, we, as I said earlier, collectively agreed that it was appropriate to make sure that we let each of these steps have some breathing room. Um, these are very big decisions for the league, for Nick, for me personally. Um, and so, you know, I, I've been very clear with the board, at least from my perspective, you know, I, I, I think it's very important. I, I'm a process person, I'm a lawyer. So um, I think processes are important. I think giving people time to consider and discuss with without urgency, especially when they're really important decisions are critically important. And so um, I have no doubt that it's top of the priority list to sort of figure out a plan moving forward. And uh, again, um, you know, uh, grateful that they have the confidence in me, even on an interim basis to be able to lead the league and uh, we'll keep marching on. How do your boys feel about mom being a commissioner? You know, I don't even know if they know, um, you know, they're in Florida at the moment with their dad. So um you know, I, I texted them. They're like, you know, at SeaWorld or something. I don't know. <laughs> when they come back, I'll, I'll be, I'll like carry a sign and be like, guess what happened while we were gone. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, they actually didn't really know what was in the work. So um, we'll have to have a long download when, when they return. <laughs> I'm sure their first question will be, do you have to travel more? Um, and, uh, you know, how it will impact them because they are kids at the end of the day. So <laughs> we will be seeing you at an arena very soon. I'm sure. Uh, congratulations on the appointment, uh, a bittersweet day for you and the national lacrosse league, but, uh, we are in great hands and we have been set on the right course. Congratulations. Thanks for your time, Jessica. Thank you so much. That is the new interim commissioner of the National Cross League, Jessica Berman. And great to hear her insight um, on the plans, the future of the game, but also 
you know, looking back and just realizing how important Nick was and everything that he did for our league. But Pat, this is a big day for the National Lacrosse League and for Jessica Berman. And the future looks very bright for, for the National Lacrosse League. And I think that's kind of what's getting lost in, in the spotlight right now. A lot of people are looking back at what a great job Nick Sakevich did and for good reason. Then there's some people wondering why he would leave at the midpoint. And the thing that's getting lost is one, as you mentioned, the foundation that that is set for the league to flourish, but two, it's a monumental day for Jessica Berman and women in sports. Like this mm-hmm. is a huge, huge moment. And who's to say that? Yes, we saw that there is going to be a search for a new commissioner, but who's to say that it might not be Jessica Berman uh, getting rid of that interim tag uh, at the end of this search, because you know, her name is going to be um, tossed uh, in the ring. Whenever you talk to anyone that has had discussions with her, whether it's a player at the summit or uh, media members, uh, board of governor members. She even said it herself. uh, The board of governors have full faith that she can lead them right now um, for a short term. And I'm sure that they also know that she has the ability to lead them long term as well. So we will see what the future holds uh, for the interim tag of Jessica Berman, who is now running the ship that we call the National Lacrosse League. Uh, Just coming in as we were doing that interview, um, the Saskatchewan Rush got themselves a goalie pattern. Yes, they did. Eric Penny. And this is kind of a move that I think some people, especially Rush fans, were looking for. Um, And they missed out on signing him. And you know, they end up going out, grabbing them in a trade. I believe what it was, uh, it only cost them a, a, a second round pick. Um, so f- for me, this is a move that is showing that they're not ready to give up. Uh, those RFAs aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, they believe that this is a team that can win. This is a team that was built at the start of the year as a championship contender, and they still think so. And they think that bringing in a goalie like Eric Penny, maybe maybe he's not even going to be the starter down the stretch because, you know, shoot is shown, flashes of brilliance. Maybe this is going to push Adam Shoot to be better. Or maybe he's going to catch fire and, and he's going to be the goaltender that, you know, lights the fire underneath this team. Yeah, um, I, I think... They're making this trade, and I think you see Eric Penny start this Saturday against Colorado. 100%. 100%. There's no doubt in my mind that Eric Penny's going to start that game. Uh, the, the trade officially is Penny and Philadelphia's second-round pick in 2023 for the number 23 pick in the 2022 draft, which dates back to when Saskatchewan lost Jeremy Thompson uh, in free agency. So um, the Rush now have a goalie. His name is Eric Penny, and... I would most doubt, most most assuredly think that he will be the starter this weekend against Colorado. So uh, big news coming down um, twice now. We got a, a commissioner stepping away, an interim commissioner coming in, and the rush get themselves a goalie. Week 13, six games, all of them on Saturday. Toronto at New York kicks things off. Uh, the Rock cannot let this one slip. They can't kind of go in and say, all right, you know, we've won four in a row. We're, we're starting to heat up. If they go in with that thought process in mind, New York will take them to the cleaners. And here's one thing that I kind of stat wise was looking up. Their offense in New York is elite. They're sixth in goals for second in the power play 
first shorthanded goals, first and shorthanded goals for, and third in goals for per game. But on the other side of the ball, their defense is fourth in goals against, 13th in PK, and 14th in goals against average. So if they can get their defense to match up with their offense, this team is truly going to be a beast. It's only a matter of time, and I don't know if it's going to be this year, but this is a team that's going to compete, and it's unfortunate because I do think that their record does not show what type of team this is. Yeah, their their defense could be better. We're seeing some inconsistent play from, from Orleman in between the pipes, but with that offense, that kind of also scares me if I'm Toronto or a Toronto Rock fan right now because – their offense could solve Nick Rose and this defense. Mm-hmm. And I think this is uh, uh, where you, you want to lean heavily on your defense here. Uh, this is somewhere where maybe Toronto's defense could get exposed a little bit. And then that's not a knock against Toronto's D because I think them and Halifax right now are, are the two teams that are playing the best defense across the league. Um, but that's how good this offense is. And that's how good, this power play is. Um, so I, I can't wait to see how this one shakes out. Halifax at Philadelphia, a rematch from two weeks ago. We got to, there's got to be a time at some point where this Philadelphia team can string a few games together where they play a full 60 minutes. They have still yet to beat a, a team that is above 500. And they're going up against a Halifax team that is starting to feel themselves and are quote unquote buzzing. <laughs> they are buzzing and for good reason um i've been giving this defense a ton of praise as i should um but the offense now is kind of carrying the load that everyone expected them to the thing with philly the last time they played um they could not score five on five mm-hmm. all their chances came on the power play or in transition bad news for them halifax special teams is starting to heat up at that last game the pk was much better the power play was much better. So I think they're, they, their only advantage they have coming to this game is on the special teams. So they're going to have to work hard here. I, I, the only thing that I think they have their saving grace coming into this game is one, they're the more desperate team right now. They need this win. Halifax could come in a little bit sleepy. They're six and one. Like you said, they're feeling themselves. And the other thing, Paul Day. He's got a full bye week to cut down all that film, do a deep dive, check what happened last game. And also he knows this organization very, very well. Um, you know, with his time with Rochester uh, when, when the Thunderbirds were once the, the Nighthawks. So uh, I, I really, I said it for the last couple of games, but this is a game that I'm, I'm really excited to watch um, because the, the rematch was great. I think this one will be even better. Buffalo uh, is atop the NLL Eastern Conference. Uh, Rochester trying to claw their way into a playoff possibility. Can Rochester play like they do against Albany this weekend against Buffalo? That's tough because you look at the most inconsistent team in the league, you could probably argue it's Albany the most consistent team you could possibly argue is Buffalo. So uh, it's a little bit of a tougher challenge, but again, this offense, I don't know if they can go goal for goal with a team like Buffalo, but defensively and, and if Ryan Hartley can stand on his head, I couldn't see why not. And it's a rivalry game, but um, it's going to be a tall task, but 
I don't know. Anytime these two teams meet, I would never say one team uh, is going to run away with it because these two teams always play so close. And um, Rochester always has that chip on their shoulder coming in, especially the new age Rochester team. And a classic I-90 battle. Buffalo fans always travel well to Rochester. Uh, it should be a fantastic game. Um, and if, you know, Rochester can find that mojo that they have when they play Albany and take it into Buffalo and not get pushed around by the bandits, they can they can hang with them. I, I truly believe they can hang with them, maybe pull off an upset in that game. Uh, let's head out west. Vancouver at Panther City. A chance for the Warriors to sleep the expansion club. Uh, Vancouver seven for seven on the power play or sorry on the PK in their last two games that's crazy to think that this team hasn't given up a power play goal against Calgary or Panther City in their last two outings and the offense has been ridiculous against this Panther City team 17 goals in the first or the second meeting and I believe it was 14 um, in the second so obviously there's something and yes, of course, Mitch Jones was playing in one of those contests, but there's something that that offense uh, really gels well with against Panther City's mm-hmm. defense and their goaltending. So uh, this is a spot where you could say maybe a letdown here for Vancouver, but I think this Vancouver team is built different. They see the opportunity um, and they can't let this one slip away because their schedule gets a lot tougher coming down the stretch here. Yeah, I said they were seven for seven in the last two games against uh, Panther city and Calgary. It's actually seven for seven against Calgary and Sandy uh, Saskatchewan Panther city went forced for seven last game against Vancouver. Okay. Um, it'll be very interesting to see, but you know, Chris Gill has this team playing some incredible across and his adversary last week, Kurt Miloski said to us before the game that this is one of the best Vancouver teams he's ever seen. And they're starting to play yeah. some of their best lacrosse. Uh, Colorado at Saskatchewan, the TSN game of the week. Last stand for the rush. They have three more games to turn this thing around. But for the Mammoth, a chance to bury their rival. Yeah, this one, if you look at the historical stats and if you look at the betting angle, all signs lead to a, a Saskatchewan win. But this Colorado team is just built different, man. They they have the defense, they have the goaltending, but this year it's that offense led by, by you know Ryan Lee, and we gave him praise earlier in, in the podcast. But hungry dog runs faster. Uh, this is this Saskatchewan team is desperate. They need to turn things around. Um, and in their own building, there's nothing that they would rather do more than beat the rival in their own building and turn this ship around because they have the belief in the room, or at least I should say, I think they do because you look at that roster, you look at the management, you you just know if they can collect a couple of wins here, they're right back into the thick of things. Uh, Derek Keenan was seen on the bench for Saskatchewan in that game in Colorado. I don't know if that was because he wanted a closer look at some of his players. I don't know if it's because he didn't want to sit in the press box, but as a player, that's got to be, you know, a little concerning to see your general manager there just kind of overseeing everything. It has to be a little daunting of a moment. Um, the final game of the week in Albany at San Diego. Uh, the Seals coming off a bye week looking for their seventh in a row. Albany have lost two straight. This could be a defining moment for the Seals if they can pull off another win here. Could be a defining moment indeed for them, but it also could be a defining moment 
for Albany. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to drop down to four and seven, but if you can beat the hottest team in the NLL, that injects confidence back into that locker room. They go to five and six, just one win away from 500. Um, but San Diego, I think they're a team that, despite being six and one right now, banged up, guys are playing hurt. Guys are coming in and out of the lineup. So that bye week, I think, came at a great point. Um, but they're no doubt they're looking to, to stay hot, stay rolling. And um, yeah, I think you could say, I know I mentioned it already, Buffalo being the most consistent team in the league. Well, I think you could say San Diego, the most consistent team. You know what you're getting out of this group. And then an Albany team where who knows which team shows up. So yeah, exactly. if the good Albany team shows up, we're in for a great game. If not, uh, yeah. it could be a long night. Cooper Perkins has done a lot of work uh, covering the San Diego Seals in his first year. Uh, we'll ask him if Frank Chileano can hold another team to sub four goals. He is the man behind the Lax Metrics podcast, and he rides shotgun. The guy you all know, Nick Osello. This is Cooper Perkins from the San Diego Seals right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by Cooper Perkins, play-by-play voice of the San Diego Seals and the mastermind behind Lax Metrics, a new website that breaks down stats way beyond my comprehension. So we're going to talk to him, figure out what it's all about. Cooper, how are you, my man? Daddy, I'm doing great. How about yourself, buddy? Uh, we are living a dream. It is a beautiful day here on the West Coast. Patty's out on the East trying to stay warm, and uh, <laughs> yeah. we've got lots to talk about. Um I think the the first question everybody wants to know, do you literally watch back every single game for all of these stats, or is this just based on stats that are provided by the league that you put into a computer generator? So that's a a great question. And uh, the answer to your question is I do watch every game. Um, There are five inputs that go into these kind of larger mathematical metrics that the league does not provide that do not exist that I hope at some point maybe they'll be able to track. I, I know, you know, conversation here and there, there's some capabilities in college lacrosse that, that have allowed them to do a little bit more play-by-play tracking, but since that doesn't exist in the NLL, the responsibility falls on me. And it sounds like a tremendous amount of work, but really there's a lot of dead, you know, dead weight in games. You can kind of speed through some things. So it'll probably take maybe 35, 40 minutes to get through a game instead of the two and a half hours in a broadcast. So I don't want to give myself too much credit here. It's not like I'm sitting down committing 10, 12 hours a week just to watch in lacrosse. But uh, in order to get those those five or six metric or numbers that go into the metrics, it's really important to do that. And without those, you know, five or six, I don't think much of this would would have a whole lot of value. And and we, you know, we've seen analytics in the NBA and NBA and all the major leagues. We never really had it in lacrosse because the the ability to find those stats that information just hasn't really readily been available why did you decide now in your first year covering the national lacrosse league you're only four games into your broadcasting career in the nll why did you want to take on this monstrosity of a task well it was an accident more than anything um as all good projects start right it's with a kind of an innocent just an idea of something and to explore through curiosity and You know, a lot of people don't know that I went to school to study corporate finance. So my background's in, you know, math and spreadsheets and a lot of that stuff. And so plan A wasn't doing the broadcasting thing. Um, But what I think gave me kind of the, the, the push to look into things more is actually that outside perspective, right? Like 
anytime you're in an ecosystem where there is a dogma and a consistent way of looking at things, it can often be difficult to break free from that and think about things differently. So one thing that makes no sense to me is the assist category in box cross. I mean, I understand most of its roots come from hockey, but there's a lot of BS in that that doesn't tell you a whole lot about what's going on. So being able to look at that and try and reimagine how do we want to learn from the things that are happening in front of us, that's kind of what got the gears turning for me. And originally it actually came from just looking at some SEAL stuff and being impressed with what Jeremy Noble was up to. And the thought was, I wonder if you could, you know, crunch some numbers and, and try and come up with a, like an efficiency score to, to try and articulate how well he's been playing despite not scoring a lot of goals, despite, you know, a couple other things here and there that aren't so sexy. And the answer to my question was with a little bit of work. Yeah, you kind of can. Um, but that exploration kind of led me to the realization that, you know, the box score as it exists is pretty limited. And in order to start trying to chip away at some of the bigger questions that I had, kind of had to try and expand the pool from which we can draw these numbers. And so that's where some of the more, um, I guess we can call them invented stats come from the, but they're things that people are familiar with, right? Like, I don't need to explain to you what a pick assist is, you know, like that, that's a self-explanatory concept. Uh, you know, it gets a little bit funky when you get into like the unrealized assist category, but intellectually, I think it would make sense to anyone. It's just an assist that didn't turn into a goal, right? Like you can control everything as a passer up until the ball leaves your stick and it could be a beauty of a pass that ends up in the goalie's chest protector. And that, that doesn't mean it was any less brilliant as a facilitator, but you know, we haven't historically had a way to measure that and keep track of those guys to see, you know, kind of what that all looks like. So for me, it's just about the curiosity of figuring out how can we dig into some of the stories that, you know, the historical numbers might not tell us, you know, where are these kind of hidden storylines that we can poke into and, and maybe be interested in. One thing that kind of jumped out to me when I was going through this, and actually it, it jumped out to me even before you launched your website. I know you tweeted out some things about your win probabilities and how some of them didn't really match what maybe some of the sports books had. And obviously my gambling brain starts getting and going. What exactly do you use for your formula when it comes to the win probabilities? So the formula for the win probability is dynamic. Um, it's something that I think can constantly be getting better um, because predicting the future is super, super hard. Um, the way it works is it compares each team's Pythagorean winning percentage. So that's what we would expect their winning percentage to be based on what their goal differential is. And within that adjusts for both the league-wide home or road um, impact. So uh, on a league-wide basis for like the last five or six years, I think the number is like a 520 winning percentage for the home team. So we can factor that in by basically multiplying the perspective winning percentage by however many you know, times you would expect. Um, a recent aspect that I added actually intends to focus specifically on each team's arena and its impact on how games play out in that building using historical data. We can actually figure out a pretty good representation of what winning percentages should look like based on attendance figures, actually. And obviously a lot of that gets fluffed and depending on who you ask, attendance is different things in different places, but it's still a pretty helpful number in, in predicting that. I've toyed a little bit with, with 
the production that's available in a given game, right? Like how do you account for guys not playing? Um, that's not very hard to do. It's just super laborious to do for every game constantly. So I'm, that's one thing I'm workshopping to try and figure out uh, how to include on a more regular basis. But what it comes down to is I think the numbers are generally a little bit more reflective of reality than the sports books because there's not a need to incentivize gambling. So, you know, as betters, right, you're looking for things that don't require you you to lay a lot of juice. And that's something on money lines, especially that has been pretty prevalent in a lot of the numbers that that we've seen. And so if you just strip away the need to get people to engage with it financially, (laughs) you can just put numbers out there that that say what the probabilities are. You know, overall, since I started tracking the probabilities about three and a half weeks ago before the website's debut, um, we're looking at, I think, 24 and six. So they're doing really well, just on like a pure win-loss basis. Um, but again, it's probability, you know, things happen that, that don't match up with that. And not every team's home field or home floor advantage is the same from year to year. But a good example is that's a huge reason why the website has Sask as a favorite over Colorado, despite everything that's happened and why they, you know, lost to them this past weekend and things of that variety. It's because there's a lot of historical data that tells us that, you know, there's some stuff to be interested in this week that might not, uh, mesh so well with what our eyes have told us at times. Um, so you use Z values a lot and, and you say yeah. that it's 2015 to 2020. Is that just based on when the data was available for all the stats that we're, we're tracking or is that just when you wanted to limit it? So that's a good question. And the answer is it's pretty arbitrary. Um, in order to build the data set that these all come from, there's not a great way to do it without just raw punching in data. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot of time to build that. Um, I think I would aspire to build it out further over 10 years. Um, granted, the five-year sample is a pretty good indicator of where most of those numbers fall. Um, I, I don't know that it's perfect because the more you can include in a data set, the better representation it's going right. to be of the whole. Um, but I mean, to answer your question, it's fairly arbitrary. It's at like that, that intersection of, uh, usefulness and time required in order to, to get the most out of it. So we're kind of playing the 80, 20 rule, get 80% of the benefits there with only putting in 20% of the work. Okay. Explain this to me. Uh, I'm not surprised that, that Josh or sorry, Zach Curry is atop the D tranny stats, um, just because he's just everywhere and, and does so many good things on his side of the ball, but how is Challen Rogers 174th and Jordan McIntosh 176th when they're two guys who generally get a ton of praise for their work in transition are often considered um, nominees for transition player of the year? I absolutely love that you highlighted that. So the transition stats are probably the least mature of the group. Those are the ones that are still the most in development because we're lacking particularly good ways to quantify a lot of those stuff. And those guys specifically that you've highlighted in uh, Jalen Rogers and Jordan McIntosh take a lot of shots and they have a lot of shots that get stopped. So if we're going to try and figure this out mathematically, basically the number of shots that they have saved is what's holding back their overall value. So if we wanted to adjust that to take away that shooting component, which we can do, they're going to climb up that list super quickly. I think that while 
it's a useful number to give us an idea of who's consistently winning possessions for their team without giving them away. That's going to be why you have the Zach Courier at the top of the list situation. That's why you're going to have some face-off guys that find themselves in that top 10. But if we want to try and give a full picture of just the raw amount of possessions added to a team, we do have to penalize possessions that are given away. So while those players like Rodgers and McIntosh might turn the ball, might not turn the ball over with much regularity, if they're throwing it in the goalie's chest, functionally they kind of are turning it over. Um, that's not perfect, right? Because not every shot ends a possession. There, there are exceptions to that, and that's where these numbers are far from perfect. Um, but specifically to answer your question, essentially the math just comes down to how much they're shooting. Right. Um, all right, let's let's dive into quick seals question here. Um, your analytics say that Westberg is early MVP. Um, not sure outside of the data, people would agree with you. Um, but how did we get there? How is Westberg the MVP based on lax metrics? So the way that all works is we take these these categories, right? All these different metrics. And we rank them on a percentile score. So out of the whole data set, where does this individual rank? Is it the top 1%? Is it the bottom 1%? Something in the middle. And then we aggregate those into a singular score that reflects where that player's percentile rank generally is. So if you take all these numbers, where does he score relative to all the other players? And what does that look like? So for Westberg in that case, he has a lot of scores in like the top seven to 14 of the league. And while none of those are that exceptional number one, that scores him a lot in like the 88th to 96th percentile. So when you don't have any outlier stats that have him in like the 40th percentile, the 55th percentile, when you average those percentile scores out, it's going to consistently be high, just like each one of them. Most guys though, don't have that even balance across the stats that go into it. So uh, like a good example is Dane Doby, his teammate. Uh, you know, Doby's done a lot of great things on a scoring basis, but he also turns the ball over a decent amount, which is going to weigh him down mathematically in a couple of areas on efficiency. So where production meets or exceeds Berg, his efficiency fails to meet him. And, you know, that's the fun thing with MVP debates, right? They're arbitrary to some yeah. extent. We all get to have our two cents and you get to throw the numbers in. There are a couple of areas where it breaks down. And I put an article out about this on the Laxmetrics blog last week. And there's a hole in that where Dane Smith comes in because what he's done as a passer has basically been so much better than Westberg that the percentile score breakdown doesn't accurately reflect how much better he's been. So you have to take that as a caveat and can you know compare and consider the different things. Um, I also, though, just from an eye test standpoint, right, watched a lot of seals, uh, maybe a little bit biased here. I don't know that there's a player that can wear more hats at an elite level at any moment for a team. Um, you know, that we've seen some instances this season where Dane Doby hasn't been perfectly healthy. You know, we've seen Casey Jackson out of the lineup. We've seen Jeremy Noble out of the lineup at some point. The one constant to that offense that right now is right there with Buffalo for the top two in the league is Wes Burke. You know, I mean, he's doing everything that they need him to do. He's scoring hugely clutch goals at important points late in games, but he's also, you know, filling his role really well. And I think the, the statistical aspect that goes underappreciated is how efficient he is 
as someone who doesn't turn the ball over, right? Like we love to talk about all of the sexy stats, the goals, the assists, everything in between, but sometimes we might have a tendency to ignore turnovers because it's easy to chalk that stuff up as guys trying to make things happen or the function of a bad possession that might not be that individual's fault. I don't know that I totally buy into that. You know, I think that there's a, a lot of correlation between players who carry the ball a lot and turn the ball over a lot. And in his case, he's a guy that carries the ball a lot and doesn't turn the ball over, but does a ton of different stuff well. So no one needs to agree with me that, uh, that he's the MVP, <laughs> but we, we met our goal here, right? We got yeah, you talking about it a little exactly. bit. Uh, we'll stick with the steel, Seals here. And uh, Frank Chiliano, um, five games played, has been held – uh, or held teams to four goals against twice. He's only given up double digits uh, twice or once. Sorry, um, I think a lot of people are now recognizing maybe he is a goaltender of the year candidate. What have you liked uh, from his game so far? Oh, Pat, that's so such a great question because it all goes back to training camp. It all goes back to kind of day one of training camp. The storyline coming out of there was just how well Frankie was playing, how good he looked, how confident and comfortable he looked. And, you know, everyone's different in how they manage pressure and how they manage competition. And it's like there's a little bit of a switch that flipped with Nick Damude ending up in Panther City. For Frankie to get that vote of confidence from the front office that, you know, he's their guy through and through. There's, there's not, you know, frankly, a lot of competition for him to be in net there. It's like that vote of confidence took him to a whole different place. And there's another component that goes into it that can't be understated. And that's how productive the defensive system has been. Um, that's one thing that, you know, Billy Greer and, you know, Patty Merrill really were adamant about coming out of camp that they didn't have to do hardly any teaching this year. That's something that the first couple of seasons really consistently new faces in there, having to do some teaching having that learning curve, but with this season, it was just coming in, hitting the ground running, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of familiarity. And I think you've seen that when Frankie hasn't been between the pipes because of you know, his illness, the defense is still functioning at a high level and there's a lot of interchangeable parts. You know, you take out Cam Holding the last couple of games, they've still been fantastic. You know, you take out Tor Reinholdt, who's stepped into a, a huge role for himself, which has just been awesome to see as he's only grown in his three years of San Diego they're still playing well. I mean, Brody's had a couple of you know, tough games, which I don't think you could say more than five or six times in Brody Merrill's whole career. But as a unit, the defense is still thriving in front of who was ever between the pipes. So when you have that intersection of Frankie's confidence with the defensive system performing at the level that it is, you know, that's why you're seeing them, I think, towards the top of the league and, and giving up the fewest goals. Just that, that ecosystem has been almost perfect through seven games. I want to go back to the the website real quickly. Um, sure. There's something that kind of came into my mind while we were talking about this. So is there maybe one team right now that you would say is underperforming by these metrics and are due for a breakout or maybe on even on the flip side, a team that's overperforming and is ready to fall off a cliff and kind of get back to reality here? Uh, Pat, you don't even realize it. I just finished proofreading something that's going to come out. Uh, by the time this airs, it'll already have come out. But Perfect. essentially, <laughs> th th there's there is a team for each of those. And uh, on the team that is underperforming is, I think, the one that everyone could guess right off the top, and that's Saskatchewan. Um, I don't think we realize collectively just how close they are on an advanced numbers basis to actually turning the corner. They're 
there are some things that need to happen and they are by no means guarantees. And to some extent, they might be big asks depending on how you look at it, but they are right there. They're so close to being able to just change a couple of little things and be the team that I think we, we expected them to be coming into the year. And then the team on the other end is Colorado. They're six and two. Dylan Ward's been phenomenal, but they're pretty fragile in a couple of areas that I think are cause for concern. Uh, the, this piece that I've got coming out is, is looking at how goal differentials are impacted by players under overperforming what a mathematical forecast of their performance would suggest. And they've kind of got a dynamic going right now where Connor Robinson is carrying a lot of weight that might not be reasonable to expect him to carry through the season's second half. And on the flip side, Zed Williams is not carrying the weight that they both need and probably expected him to carry given how much they've invested in him. So for Colorado, it's a bit of a, a dance of fragility that isn't so reflective of their six and two record. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how those two play out though, because I could look like an idiot in, in <laughs> two, three months, right? And SAS could not win another game and Colorado could be headed to the cup. So that's the beauty of it, right? We talk about what the numbers tell us and, and, you know, just watch things play out in front of us. Yeah, they they say the numbers never lie, but sometimes they do. Sometimes the numbers <laughs> depends on do your lie. numbers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Cooper, this is your first uh, foray in the National Lacrosse League. This is uh, your color man Nick Lascello's first time really calling games at this level. How have you two been coping in the booth? Because it doesn't look like Nick's having any fun at all. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think Nick's having as much fun on the air as he does off the air, but I know he's getting there. <laughs> It's interesting, you know, as, as lighthearted and as, you know, colorful of a guy as Nick is, he's actually a pretty harsh self-critic, which is something mm -hmm. that I both admire and respect a lot. And so I think for the two of us, both individually and as a unit, there have been some growing pains and there's also a lot of uh, effort and focus on, on trying to improve. I think our goal right now is to be the most fun that we can be and fill in the holes as we can going forward. And, you know, there's a lot of education that's had to happen on, on my part. I grew up playing field, but that's a, a different world to a lot of extents. So for me, there have been some areas that have been, you know, pretty significant learning curves and others that haven't. But, you know, the one thing I'll say about Nick as a partner that he'll probably uh, want to throw up when he <laughs> hears this, if he hears this, is that I, I've never worked with someone who's so committed to getting better without any regard for what that means in the short term. Uh, the willingness to take criticism and work on how he prepares and things of that variety has just been so awesome to work with. And, you know, I think nothing but great things are going to come from him. Uh, we joked that, that uh, you know, I'm taking care of him in his first year, right? Kind of usher him around, but pretty quick, he's going to be the one carrying me if we're not already at that point. So it's a, it's a fun booth though, man. It's, it's more fun off air than it is on air. Cause, cause, <laughs> Nick's got a fun mouth and I don't oh, think yeah. he can get away with everything that he probably <laughs> wants to say, but it makes for some pretty entertaining meetings and it uh, definitely makes for some pretty good uh, pregame talks. How, how are you enjoying that broadcast booth situated right in the fans there at Pachanga Arena? You know, man, I want to say that it's rough, but I just can't. I've been in so many places and worked in so many awful venues <laughs> The Pechanga, even though it's got, you know, it's far from perfect, this is still a pretty, you know, great place to call a game. And 
Yeah, the fact that it's within the fans is great for me. It's not for Nick because he always has people coming up and trying to hassle him in the middle of the podcast, <laughs> which is hysterical. I play into it. I love it. I invite him over. You know, do your thing. It's hysterical. Yeah. But I think I think he could use a maybe a a little box ten feet up in the air from where we are to, to feel a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> uh, Seals are obviously coming off a of bye week. A huge game at home this weekend against Albany. Uh, a chance to win seven straight. Um, just overall your impressions of this team heading into this weekend. Yeah, man, you know, that six straight wins, it's 11 out of 12 dating back to the COVID season, which obviously is a long time ago, but there aren't a whole lot of different pieces on this team from where we were then. And coming into the week, I think the one big question mark really has more to do with Albany than it does with San Diego. It's which firewolves team we're going to get. Cause I think we all recognize their ceilings pretty high, but at four and six losers of four out of five, where has that been? Where is it? You know? So is it the team that's going to come out and beat Halifax on the 29th of January, or is it, you know, a team that's going to struggle to maintain possession of ball and play into that defensive system that that's allowed Frankie to thrive so well, you know, the other aspect being how quickly or slowly for that matter, do the seals start the game? They've had a tough time getting that offense going off of bye weeks it's been a weird month. They've only played once in February. So, you know, the last time they played in Panther city, we kind of saw that phenomenon at work where, you know, didn't really look comfortable offensively struggled to a three goal first half in Fort Worth, but figured some things out in the second half and, you know, seven goals in the second half, isn't going to burn down any buildings, but it's, it was more indicative of, of an offense that we, we expect to see out of them. So I'm curious to see what that first half looks like, man. It's, it's, I think it's going to tell us a lot about what's going to happen after the 30, you know, after the, that, that break at halftime, just what Albany looks like the first 15, what San Diego looks like the first 15. And, you know, from there, knowing how games go up at Chanda, we're probably going to get a barn burner, regardless of what that looks like when it's all said and done. Uh, this has been awesome, my man. Uh, we didn't even get to talk too much about, you know, the, the offense and some of the rookies that are there and, and how they stack up in your metrics. But uh, we'll save that for part two, which we'll do uh, in, in a month or so when uh, we get close to playoffs. Appreciate you doing this, Cooper. The website is absolutely phenomenal. I, I know a lot of people are, are doing deep dives into that just to kind of see where the numbers lie and what the stories that they're telling. So great work on that. Kudos and keep up the great work. Keep Nick in check and have fun this weekend. <laughs> Teddy, Pat, thanks so much. Anything for you guys. It's a pleasure talking to you guys, and you have a great weekend yourselves. That was awesome, dude. Appreciate you, man. Awesome, Thank man. you, Thank fellas. You. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, lot it's of fun. a joy. Anytime. But uh, have I? Uh, have you heard about if anyone's pissed off about the numbers? No, I don't. What, what, how do you get yeah. pissed? How do you get pissed off at numbers? <laughs> Anytime you do something different, right? Yeah, Anytime true. you're an outsider, you're rough, there's a chance to ruffle feathers. I don't personally care. I'm always just curious, though. Yeah, it's no, I haven't, I haven't seen on. any backlash. You know, like, like no. um, Ty Marrow did his stuff, and um, yeah. Adam Levy's doing his podcast going to numbers. I think people um, are embracing it because, like I said, it's it's not something we've ever really done in lacrosse because we've never had the, the metrics and the the – in-depth data to do anything like this you know yeah. everything's always been just goals points and assists penalty minutes yeah. loose balls you know we're tracking cost turnovers shot blocks wide shots like shit like that so i think everyone's really embracing it so we're, we're definitely appreciative of the work that all you guys are doing behind the scenes you know i think it's pretty cool because for me all i want to do is is try and offer a little bit of you know editorial conversation about you know how can we look at things differently mm -hmm. because 
you know, that's original. It's fun. But I've been in contact with Adam through the whole process and, and I got to give him credit. I don't think I probably would have published any of this stuff if it wasn't for kind of some of the stuff that he's doing and, and some of his curiosities, just kind of having a fellow stat geek sitting behind the scenes. So uh, <laughs> it's great. I appreciate you guys giving it a platform. Hopefully we can get a little bit of a boost on it and more people want to check things out and keep mm-hmm. up with the writing, but it's, uh, it's great. And anytime you guys need anything, just give me a holler. Happy to help. That's Cooper Perkins from the San Diego Seals. Again, they take on Albany this weekend at Pachanga, looking for their seventh win in a row. We are on a bit of a heater, coming off a great weekend in box bets. Let's see if we can do it twice. Time now for box bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLF. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> Hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. (laughs) All right, Patty, we absolutely crushed last week on our parlay. Three for three, big, big money. Um, Let's try to get a little dicier this weekend and go big or go home. No going home with this parlay, Teddy. (laughs) You you put this one together, I love it. it. It's ballsy. But, you know, we got a little bit of a bankroll from the big parlay win, the Cowards parlay. And I heard Jake Elliott on his podcast, Lax Class, chirping us for being cowards. Well, here you go. This one is huge. Vancouver, minus one and a half at plus 113. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Riptide, plus one and a half at plus 125. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then Rochester, Buffalo, under... 21 and a half at minus 125. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That one pays plus 805, but we're boosting it all the way up to plus nine hunch. Absolutely love that. 10 yeah, bucks for not, 90. Let's do it. Exactly. So yeah, we, we just needed a win. We just yeah. needed it. It was a slump buster last week. We're out of our slump. Now we're going to stay hot. Almost at plus a thousand odds on this guy here. So uh, I I was going, I had it originally. I had us on a, a plus 1000 before the boost. <laughs> I, I think I thought that was a little greedy. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, fair. So I dialed that's it fair. back a bit. I think I had Vancouver minus two or maybe two and a half. They took us a plus a thousand. But you're right. We, we had our coward parlay last week. We need to start. You know, getting some confidence in our bets again and our options. And uh, we are definitely diving deep in this one. This is a, a fun one. I think if you ride with us on this one, you'll you'll enjoy it. And you'll be invested in every single game that you're watching because uh, it's going to come down to the wire in some of these ones. Certainly is. And I think that this week, it being all Saturday games, um, Saturday morning or Friday night, the props will also be out. And I think mm-hmm. with a busy slate on the one night, um, it's a little bit, you know, a little bit more stressful when it's, you know, fr- a couple of Friday game, maybe a Saturday and a Sunday um, with your bets. But when it's one day, chaos is ensuing. That's what sports betting is all about. It'll make things a little more interesting. And where do they go? How do they do? And how do they play along? So you can go to coolbet.com. Or you can sign up to become a cool better. And there's going to be that green button at the top. Go ahead, hit that, sign up. Once you sign up, there will be another green button. Hit that deposit. 
type in deposit code OTCB before you make your first deposit and we will match your first deposit up to $200 Canadian. And you know what we always say, Patty? Stay cool. Bet responsibly. All right, before we get you out of here, uh, the Ontario Junior Lacrosse League draft goes Sunday at the track. Uh, Oakville and Mimico hold the top two pick. No, sorry, Orangeville. Is it Orangeville and Mimico or Oakville? Yes, Orangeville, yes, yes. So many pills. Orangeville and Mimico (laughs) hold the top two picks. Uh, Patty, you're out there. Who goes number one? I think just based off, you know, and it's this, the the last couple of years have been tough just with not a lot of lacrosse being played, especially Mm -hmm. this one here. But a guy who you actually saw, I believe, at the Survivors Cup, a lot of people have him pegged to be going to the Northmen, and that's Jameson Bucktooth. Um, He was so impressive in that tournament. Yeah, he was certainly Um, was. He's a, a special talent out of Aguasasne. And I think um, he's a guy that obviously has proven that he can play against some older guys. So the the pipeline from that, you know, Northeast Ontario area, you know, in Cornwall, Aguasasne, and then of course, Montreal, Ganawage, it's starting to come down to Orangeville. We're seeing them start to draft into there, mm-hmm. which is not fair because they produce enough talent in Orangeville. And then now they're starting to pluck from another hotbed. And uh, Nick Rose, obviously super, super happy for him for his new position. But now he he gets the first overall pick in his first season. Not bad. Not bad at all. Not bad not, at all. Not a bad little <laughs> egg to be laid in your lap. Uh, Rose is going to do great things with them. Obviously, you know, there, there's still lots to figure out how we're going to play junior lacrosse. Uh, this summer, um, but I know you guys are starting camps up soon. We've been running camps out west with our junior guys here on the island. How excited are you to get the Ironheads rolling again? Can't wait, man. March 2nd is our first run. We're, we're super stoked. Um, you know, been talking with our junior A affiliate with the Beaches and um, Reed Actons, you know, taking over the GM roles. Clem Dorazio stepped down. So obviously want to give him a huge shout out because what he's done for our organization, sending us some some great talent for us to develop and, and bring up. So uh, I just can't wait to get back behind the bench. We had, a, you know, a couple of exhibition games and some of those tournaments last year. And it was such a tease because <laughs> there's obviously playing, you know, I love playing, love broadcasting, um, but coaching as well is something that uh, I absolutely love, love to do and can't believe it's coming here uh, soon enough. Uh, TSN game of the week is Saturday night. It is Colorado at Saskatchewan. It's supposed to be Brad Chowner and myself. We've had a mid-range change. It will be John Abbott and Pat Gregoire up in Sastel. Uh, bring your jacket. It is supposed to be extremely cold, according to our man, Evan Schemenauer. Like, minus 20, add some windshield cold. Uh, but you do yeah. get Cactus Club. Yes. You have to deal with the cold, but you get the Cactus Club and you get the Sasktel seminar. I went to the Sasktel uh, a few years ago um, when they won their championship against Rochester what, with the relax crew. So that was awesome. The building is great. Uh, so, you know, I'm excited to call my first game in that building and, um, yeah, I can't wait. The cold is going to suck, but once you're in that building, the fans will heat you up. Uh, make sure you get yourself some Dilks pickle chips oh, yeah. um, and have a lot of fun. It's going to be an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, six games all on Saturday. Again, you can watch 
uh, the TSN Game of the Week on TV, or you can go to tsn.ca and ESPN Plus for those south of the border and international as well. Jessica Berman is the interim commissioner of the National Lacrosse League, and the next chapter has begun. Thanks to her. Thanks to Cooper Perkins. Thanks to Pat. Thanks to me. And thanks to you uh, for always tuning in and listen. I'm at Teddy Jenner. He's at Pete Greggy. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast, where you can find us on Instagram at OTCB podcast. Enjoy the game. Stay safe. And as always, be excellent to each other.